0: Hello, and welcome to Fireside FileMaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Rashad talking about everything FileMaker. Hello, I'm Michael Rashad, and welcome to Fireside FileMaker.
1: And my name is John Mark Osborne, and we have the pleasure of conversing with the esteemed Stephen Blackwell today, also known as Mr. Security. So obviously, we'll be mostly talking about security today. As usual, we'll also get some background information on Mr. Blackwell so you get a better idea how his experience in the past shapes his view of the FileMaker market. So I'm going to ask you something just personal. Do you remember, Stephen, the first time we met?
2: Gee, John Mark, it probably was at one of those early DevCons, like in uh, Santa Clara or San Jose or maybe even Monterey where it could have been at a Macworld.
1: What I remember is uh, you drove up about 25 years ago, drove up to uh, Pleasanton where Matt Petrowski and I and some other folks were at a small little, you know, business building. Right, uh,
2: right.
1: You're starting to remember that one?
2: Well, I remember that. I I don't think that was the first time that we had met, but I do remember that. And we went to lunch in a uh, uh, small restaurant there.
1: Yeah, Applebee's. I, I remember like it was yesterday, because I was, I was remembering, because I may have met you before, but I don't remember it. That's the first time I distinctly remember you, and I'm thinking, who is this guy? You know, he just comes up all the way from back east and comes down to visit us and wants to have lunch with us, and, you know, we've been friends ever since, and I appreciate you having done that and come out to see me like that.
2: I had to have done it. I'm not sure why I was on the West Coast. It could have been a mic world. It could have been uh, just my traipsing around out there.
1: So whenever you call me or I call you, I always get greeted with some kind of quote or a saying. And I remember a couple of my favorites. When I'm going to ask you for your favorites. And this is just kind of our part of just trying to get to know you a little bit outside of FileMaker. But whenever you call you, say, greetings and salutations. Or maybe you'll say it's your, your humble servant. Uh, it's a lot of times, one of my favorite ones, you, you talk about the boys out on the left-handed coast. Those are all just kind of stuck in me. There's there's literally hundreds and hundreds of different quotes swimming around in your head, and they come out of you in the different situations. And sometimes I hear a new one, oh, wow. But I'd, I'd be curious if there's you have a favorite quote or saying uh, of yours.
2: Well, you know, there are all kinds of different ones, and I don't consciously sit around and think about them. They just, uh, at some point in time, they uh, landed in my head, and at some other point in time, generally, unpredictably, out they'll come. We try to keep them uh, reasonable to the context that we're in, but, hey, you know, every once in a while, there's been a an errant misfire. But greetings and salutations is something that... Uh, used to be many, 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 many years ago on a Saturday morning television program sponsored by the Seal Test Dairy Corporation, which was a circus program. And they always started, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and greetings and salutations, boys and girls. That's probably, that's where that came from.
1: And I think when you say it's your humble servant, I think you really mean that. I mean, that's not just something you say. That's, that's part of your soul. You feel like you're trying to help people out like you've done in the FileMaker market with your help with the development team and security.
2: Well, there's some truth to that. I, it it is a very, I'm very proud of what I have done in the FileMaker community. But at the same time, you know, it behooves me and I'm, suggest perhaps other people be humble about that we're we're here
1: uh on this earth for the purpose of serving people
2: and uh that's what I try
1: to do. Yeah, And that's going to be the tough part with, with us talking to you is getting you to admit to the cool things you've done because you are humble. But let's uh, turn it over to Michael so he can ask you uh, you know some real questions about FileMaker.
0: Well, I think I'm going to start with my favorite quote, which is, those who say it can't be done generally don't want to do it. Okay. Which is just apropos and it just came to mind. But Stephen, when and how did you get into the FileMaker world?
2: Oh, my goodness gracious. Probably back in the Middle Ages. I was using a very early version of the product uh, to assist me in event production and management to do such things as produce show sequences, uh, write specifications for audio visual and things like that so that I could aggregate that information and then output it in some fashion to give to the vendors who provided that type of stuff. And from there, I just kept doing more and more of the same, and I guess one day it dawned on me, hmm, wonder if somebody else might have a use for some of these same type systems.
1: And can you tell us uh, what version that was, FileMaker, when you started developing back? Plus. FileMaker Plus, wow. Okay.
2: Yes. And somewhere around here in the vast vastness of all this vastness, I have two 512K floppy disks that had the FileMaker Plus on it. You had to swap them in and out of the machine because there was no such thing as a hard drive.
1: Yeah, I I have ClarisWorks discs like that because I tested a version of ClarisWorks back in the day and they gave us a you know a copy of it and it has floppy discs in it and the only problem is I or they're not floppy actually these ones were the hard you know, three and a half inch was but you know I can't find anywhere to put them anymore so they just sit in the box.
2: Well, I think mine are in a box too. There I do have some kind of a drive somewhere that will read them, but it's not connected to the active network.
1: So Stephen. Uh, what was your first job outside of college, your first real job, you know, where you're working 40 hours a week?
2: Well, I wish it had, I don't know whether I wish it had been only
1: 40 hours a
2: week. It was a lot more. Campaign advance man.
1: Can you tell us what an advance man is, just for our listeners? An advance man goes around ahead of the candidate
2: or the office holder and Arranges the events and gets everything in good order, and makes sure that the program unfolds the way it's supposed to.
1: And then, as soon as the thing starts, the advanced man goes on to the next. So that's why they sometimes call you the old advance man. That's correct. Now, this is kind of a silly question, but it's it's part of our you know our friendship. And I have a a, a dog who you kind of latched on to you met him once his name was Bruno he's a little Boston Terrier you know black with some white markings and you kind of latched on to him and always asked me how Bruno is doing and I've got a question for you who is your favorite dog Bruno or Kismet
2: well that's a hard question there's Bruno there's Kismet there's peanut there's uh, uh honey there's uh the great dogs in New Jersey there's Hercules they're all my favorites and uh uh, the ones that aren't with us anymore, I miss them very
1: much. Yeah, and if for all you folks who didn't know who Kismet is, that was uh, Andy Gaunt's uh, pup. Both of ours passed away since uh, since then, and I'm just uh, having fun because I know he. – It was funny because for a while there, when I, every time you know I'd talk to Stephen, he would ask me how Bruno's doing. One day I had to tell him he he was gone. So. Uh, what can you do?
2: Poor little Bruno. He was a great American.
1: Yeah. So we're wanting to know a little bit about your political career, just a little bit, because it kind of shapes how you view the FileMaker market. Your experience for everybody shapes how you are. And so we're wondering if you can tell us a little bit about your political career and and maybe if you understand how it shaped your outlook on the FileMaker market.
2: Well, I've worked uh, in you know, for a big city mayor, for a governor on a number of campaigns, for a couple of uh, administrations in the executive office of the president, and things like that, uh, doing a variety of different tasks over the years. As to how that influenced my outlook on the FileMaker community, I've never really thought about that extensively, other than perhaps to to say that it teaches you to know how to listen to people and know the importance of listening to people. It, it teaches you how to form coalitions and groups and work together with other people. And perhaps most importantly, it indicates to you, you have to stand for something.
1: Awesome. I think uh, a lesson uh, that I got taught as a youth and that, that obviously you did is that listening to people is important. And I think it's a little lost on the youth of today and hopefully uh, maybe some folks listening to this podcast will understand, and and, uh, that's something we should teach our kids, I believe. Two
2: ears, one mouth.
1: Act accordingly.
0: (laughs) Well, yes, and the other thing, of course, Stephen, is that people, in a lot of the time, people tend to be thinking about what they're going to say next instead of listening to what the person who is speaking is actually saying, which would really lead them into what they're going to say next, but they want to jump ahead and be ready to chime in. So mm-hmm. I think listening is a skill that is really it's essential but it's almost a lost art these days because everybody just wants to talk without listening.
2: Well, there's there's a lot of truth to that and unfortunately it seems more pronounced in recent years but you know you go you go back and you read business books going back, you know, 25 or 30 years and people like Deborah Tannen or uh, Lee Hartley Carter or any of these people that have written these these, uh, volumes uh, all have stressed the importance of listening to what the other person or groups of persons Uh, happened to be saying my father was fond of saying I know what I know I want to know what you know and the only way I can find that out is to
0: listen. That's a good saying. Yeah. So how did your interest in FileMaker security come about and when did that start?
2: Pretty much probably just about the time I got started uh, working uh, in in some depth and some detail with the products. And unfortunately, that also included responding to some people who had their intellectual property stolen by unscrupulous individuals and trying to help those people remedy their uh, filemaker-based solutions, what we then referred to, I think, as... uh, uh, you know, market-based products to, you know, protect them and to, uh, if if not make the theft of the intellectual property impossible, at least make it extremely difficult. And I think the first program that I ever did of any magnitude on the subject of FileMaker security would have been at the 2001 DevCon at that Disney property in Orlando.
1: Stephen, can you tell us how you would define security? and why it's important, and what it's really supposed to accomplish?
2: Sure. That's that's a good question, John Mark. The reason we have security is to preserve and protect the confidentiality, the integrity, the availability, and the resilience of assets, digital assets. That usually means information, but it can mean hardware networks and whatnot. In addition to that, we also have jurisdictions abounding across the world with varying legal requirements and civil liability requirements to manage information and to, you know, safeguard these assets and the failure to do so generally is quite debilitating to a number of companies and many smaller and medium-sized businesses who incur
1: Significant data breaches or incursions don't survive. I think that's important what you said at the end. I mean, security can really bring your entire business down.
2: Absolutely. And it's not just the lack of, you know, availability or somebody gets confidential information. If you get locked out of your systems or your systems can't recover after some sort of an incident, And it doesn't have to be a malevolent uh, incident. It could be something as fairly mundane as a power failure. And if you're not properly set up to deal with security, particularly availability and resilience, you're out of business. When data are everywhere, security is everything. Now that's what the people at Forcepoint have to say. They're a division of Raytheon, by the
1: way. So can you tell us what the building blocks, from your point of view of FileMaker platform security are, whether they're inside the program itself or outside of it? Well,
2: that's an important distinction, the latter part of the question, inside or outside. Traditionally, IT security has been focused on the perimeter in. That's not good enough anymore. And I know I'm going to stir up a dust storm here, but you start at the core and you work out. The core... Issue the core objective is to protect the assets. So in FileMaker, you have the ability to uh, set up accounts and have different types of authentication so that you answer the question, who are you? How do I know you, who you say you are? Secondly, you have privileges, which mean once you're authenticated, once you're in the system, what are you allowed to do? And fortunately, the FileMaker platform has very granular security. And we see examples all the time of people discovering that things don't work quite the way they expected, and it's because something wasn't enabled or set properly. You then also have encryption both of data in transit between FileMaker server and various clients, FileMaker Go, FileMaker Pro, uh, FileMaker WebDirect. You have encryption at rest, which is the encryption of the physical file itself. So that if someone is able, some unauthorized person is able to get a copy of your file, which is usually a backup, they are severely inhibited from accessing the inside of that file, either the data or the intellectual property, if the file is encrypted. I wrote a white paper maybe a year or so ago about FileMaker platform security building blocks, and it's on on my blog in the marketplace, and people can take a look at that. But there are a lot of good tools that uh, have come over the years to enable developers and business owners' data information to preserve the confidentiality, integrity, availability, and resilience.
1: Is that FM Forms, which you referred to, FM Forms?
2: That's correct. My blog and my security blog is on fmforums.com.
1: Just so if anybody listening here wants to to go read all the stuff that he's talking about, because of course we can't get into as much detail as we'd like. But let me ask you something that came up when you were talking about it. And I think there's a lot of different ways that people determine or, or set up passwords. Sometimes they let the users uh, uh, set up the passwords. Sometimes they force them to have something set up. I'm worried that there should be some standard way of setting up passwords, and I haven't really discovered it. Don't want somebody to know your password. Because otherwise it's not your password, but yet you don't want it to be easy to guess. And it's like, how do you get somewhere where somebody doesn't know the password except the person who's, and then also so that it's going to be hard to guess?
2: Well, the human factor is always the, either the strongest or the weakest point in the security chain. And frequently it's both at the same time. And before somebody sits there scratching his or her head, I know that's somewhat contradictory, but that's the way that it is. The idea is that you can set up accounts with default passwords, and the first time that a user accesses his or her account, he has to change the password. And depending on the type of account, and where the authentication has occurred, you can set rules for the length and complexity of the password. You should have an uppercase, lowercase, a high ASCII character, such as an exclamation point or a hashtag sign, number sign, dollar sign, whatever. It's the, the length of the password is important, but it's not the be-all and end-all that some people originally thought it was going to be. Generally speaking, I recommend and use uh, passwords that are between 10 and 12 characters. Now, how do you make them easy to remember but hard to guess? Obviously, John Mark, a bad password for you would have been Bruno is my dog because that's something that could be guessed. And people who put the name of the pet or password Uh, or something like that, that, that's asking for trouble. Uh, Every year, one of the security vendors comes out with a list of the worst passwords. Uh, Let me in is one, password, uh, who am I, Uh, things like that. At the same time, you don't want to make the password or the passphrase. So difficult to remember that people write it down on a sticky note. And where does that sticky note generally wind up? On the screen of the computer. Actually, one of the safest places to put a password is on a written document. But lock that document away where it's not likely to be compromised. I'm I'm unaware of any instance ever of a piece of paper being hacked. But who knows? So you can have passwords or you can have passphrases. Bruno is my dog would have been a passphrase. I think in FileMaker Security, the book, I uh, cite one, Abel was I ere I saw Elba, which is generally, for those who have studied either French culture or world history, Napoleon's lament after he was sent into exile. That's actually a pretty good password, but it's not as strong as it would be uh, with a few random characters in it because it could be guessed. There are tables and dictionaries of quotations and savings like and sayings like that um, that can be tried against particular accounts. That's why the randomness or the entropy of a password is the factor that determines its greatest strength. And the strengthometer, as somebody at FileMaker once called it, or Claris now, that is in the FileMaker Pro Advanced product, and FileMaker Pro as well, now of course all the same product, will utilize or will test for entropy and tell you whether you have a weak, moderate, or strong password. Now, that's probably more than nobody ever wanted to know about the subject of password strength, but that's sort of the philosophy behind
1: Right, but FileMaker in no way requires you to make or can be set up by the developer to require the user to use a certain length password. It's just simply when you're creating the passwords, it's giving you a suggestion that this might be weak or strong. Is there something that should be set up like that, or...? I believe that you can require a
2: specific link. And, of course, if you're using external authentication, Active Directory, Open Directory, uh, Microsoft Azure, Ping, Okta, OneLogin, any of those services, they can set, there are settings that can control both the uh, length and to some degree the complexity of the password. I'm trying to remember whether FileMaker Pro itself has, there are some strictures in the area where you set up the password in the accounts area that you can require that the user change the password the next time it comes around But I don't believe, as you indicated, yeah, there there really is no way to uh, require that the password be of a particular length. But that's not the case if you're using one of the external authentication services, which is mostly for systems that I've designed where the authentication occurs because you can do other things such as prevent a user when it's time to change the password from changing it right back to itself, prevent multiple logons, prevent logons at odd times of the day, or monitor or else monitor the fact. You can sort of monitor that internally by checking the server access log, which you have to remember to turn on. So it is not a perfect
1: world. So external, Authentication would probably be your favorite type of creating passwords. Absolutely. Well, creating accounts.
2: Yes. Yes. Absolutely.
1: So let me ask you the next question, Stephen. And this may be a hard one to answer in a short amount of time, but do your best. What? And there are probably many answers to this, but maybe give us a few of your favorites or or the most disturbing ones. What can cause a security breach in FileMaker? Three things. John Mark. First, as I said, human
2: behavior. And that doesn't necessarily mean malevolent or uh, ill-intended or malicious. It could be a simple simple accident, a simple misunderstanding. It could be ignorance of what the impact of, of doing some action would be, sharing passwords, sharing credentials, things like that. The second area is improper configuration. Uh, that you uh, that the developer or the administrator does not configure the system correctly, and thus that results in, in some sort of a breach. And the third thing is, as the character in one of the Tom Clancy novels said, people getting a case of the clevers. And that generally means that somebody, uh, a developer, either through being clever or thinking that he or she is being clever, or possibly by not knowing, decides that they can improve upon, in quotation, something in the FileMaker system. And we see all of these ersatz security systems that people come up with, and they're just an invitation for trouble. They're just a big red sign on the back of somebody that says, kick me. And those three things, human behavior, improper configuration, and a case of the clevers, are, are the principal causes of, of underlying causes of breach. Now, they may not be the attack factor that's used, but they're the underlying causes. And when we do a security audit, one of the things that we're looking for, out of a number of other items is are any of those three in in place because a developer thinks as a developer thinks makes perfect sense but from the security standpoint you have to think not as the developer thinks but as the attacker thinks and the attacker says what are the controlling mechanisms for the protection of this file? and Can I break them? Can I manipulate them? Can I bypass them? Can I turn them off? Can I ignore them? And that's the way the attacker thinks. And to fend off the attack, the developer has to have that same mindset. And there have been ample examples of this, unfortunately, in the FileMaker community. And people can, you know, look back on that same FM forum site for an example of, of one that actually happened where the results were actually published.
1: I guess uh, an analogy would be uh, leaving your front door open, but locking your bedroom door, they got into your house, but maybe they're not going to get into your bedroom, but they've got access to a lot of stuff already. Uh, Would you say that's fairly reasonable? That, that That
2: is basically true. There, there's a little more to it than that, but that's basically true. As Decor, the developer's developer, has pointed out any number of times in various forums, once you're into the file where those various ersatz processes are located, scripted, uh, tables, whatever, you're into the file. And all of those elements are subject to attack. They can't be bypassed. They can't be turned off. Now, it's gotten harder to do that as we progressed through recent versions, particularly starting with version 16. But uh, it, it, it's simple sometimes to... Uh, if such a system is, say, linked to an on-open script, is to get the file open without the on-open script running. And that's a fairly trivial exercise, particularly in, like, versions 12, 13, 14, and, and so on. As we've gotten better and more granular control, it's harder, but it's still not
1: impossible. You recommend security audits, and you talked a little bit about them a a minute ago. Uh, How do you recommend performing a security audit? And can you possibly give us an example of what might be found in an audit?
2: Sure. A security audit's overall purpose is to be sure that the available resources that an organization has and an organization is rarely blessed with unlimited resources and many who might be probably don't know how to use them effectively but to be sure that available resources are appropriately directed to the protection of the assets the digital assets whose breach would cause the most damage And there's a specific process that I have, I won't say that I totally developed it, but that I have applied to the FileMaker platform. And the first thing I want to determine is what assets do you need to protect? And that sounds like an obvious question, but in many instances, people don't know. The second question is, what would be the level of adverse impact, there is no beneficial impact, the level of adverse impact on each one of these assets, if you had a breach of confidentiality, integrity, availability, or resilience, and there could be four different types of breaches on the same asset, and each one of them could have a different level of adverse impact, and we identify four such levels limited, serious, severe, and catastrophic. Let me say those again. Limited, serious, severe, and catastrophic. The impact of a breach of confidentiality could be serious, but the impact of the same breach on availability could be catastrophic, and you just have to work these out. And, you know, we use flow charts and grids and all that fun stuff to do that. Then you ask yourself, after you've, you've done that, what are the vulnerabilities in the system that could facilitate the breach? And then finally, what is the risk of that breaches occurring? There might be a breach that might have severe impact on confidentiality, But the risk, the likelihood of such a breach is occurring might be very, very, very small. So the question then becomes, do I want to apply a disproportionate share of my resources to a very unlikely scenario, even if the result of that scenario would be a severe, you know, breach? So it's by no means a cut and dried process uh, or the results are not predetermined or obvious. And I have never done one of these except what at the end that the owners of the data, the owners of the system have had a totally new perspective brought to them about their assets and about what would happen if there was a breach. Now, that, again, is probably more than nobody wants to know about
1: that topic. I think they, they need to know about this stuff, and it's important. And, and I think some people view security sometimes as a big pain. And But you know what? If It's kind of like backups. Nobody wants to do backups either. But you know what? The time that you need them, and you spent 10 years making backups and never use them, that one time that you need them, they're going to change your life because you've done it. And the same thing with security. The one time you stop a hacker or who knows what, or some kind of security breach, I think is going to be well worth the time spent in determining whether you have a problem with your security or not. Well,
2: that's exactly right. There are two categories of FileMaker developers. Those who have restored a file from a backup and those who have yet to restore a file from a backup. So, yeah. And, I mean, we we need look no further, and I'm not going to call out any names or uh, any individuals, but we need look no further than a couple of posts on some uh, FileMaker-oriented lists this very week to see uh, the dangers of, for example, not having a good backup, a good backup system, which for FileMaker security, or for FileMaker server, rather, I should say, Certainly includes more than one backup at the end of the day. It includes, in my view, uh, frequent backups, perhaps hourly, and even more frequent backups using the uh, incremental backup system that is part of FileMaker Server. That's one of the problems about running FileMaker as a single standalone or peer to peer hosting type arrangement on, on a workstation. There just about isn't a good backup system for that.
1: Can you give us a couple of the most common security uh, problems you found when doing a security audit? Sure.
2: One of them is misdirection of the resources. That you know, half the resources are spent on a problem that might be five percent. In terms of specific types of issues, too many privileges in a given privilege set for a category of users. Privilege sets are set to manage the business role that a group of users have. That's the reason you can assign more than one account to a particular privilege set, either directly inside FileMaker or through an external authentication group structure. And the users in that should be held to what's called the rule of lease privileges. And that is that you get the privileges that you need in the system to do what you're supposed to do from a business standpoint, but you don't get any more. And one of the problems associated with breaches is that users escalate their privileges or are able to escalate their privileges. And that's one of the issues with the ersat systems that, privileges can be can be escalated. And I illustrated that at the 2015 DevCon in uh, Las Vegas by showing a demo file, so-called, where the user was constrained to making, I think, only 10 records so that they could see how the system worked and whether they wanted to purchase it or, you know, Buy and unlock code or any of these other common mechanisms. And while I had the audience's attention directed at another place, I caused 1,000 records to be made in that demo file, not the original five or 10, by escalating the privilege of that particular privilege set because of a vulnerability that was there. So that's, that's one of the biggest problems that, you, that you'll
1: find. So the next thing I'd like to ask you about is when FileMaker 6 turned over and became FileMaker 7, one of the things that may have gone unnoticed is the difference between optimistic and pessimistic security. So can you tell us a little bit about that term? optimistic versus pessimistic, and what role you played in getting it to be pessimistic?
2: Well, I'm not sure that those would be the exact terms that that I would apply, though though they are commonly uh, used in, in the community. The difference between the security schema in FileMaker 6 and earlier, and FileMaker 7 and later, is that the current security schema, FileMaker 7 and later, is basically a modern security system. It has accounts, and it has privilege sets. And the privilege sets fulfill the roles that I described just a moment ago. As we have moved through versions from 7 to 8 to eight five to 9 to 10 to 11 to 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, we have adjusted more and more towards the question of, or towards the options of being secure by default, and that privileges must be specifically enabled, that they are not on by default, but they are off, or they are more restrictive rather than less restrictive. Couple of examples. In version 16, we got the API controls, and by default, they were off, meaning you could not run an Apple event, an ActiveX method, an FMP URL against a new file, unless the privilege set specifically allowed for that, unless it had been specifically enabled. Another example, and I think this came around in like maybe FileMaker, 11 was file access protection, which simply said you cannot point uh, data references or script references into a file if you don't know the full access account for that file. Now, that was originally off by default. It's now on by default, meaning that that if the developer forgot to turn that on, that was a vulnerability. And that was a huge vulnerability, as were the APIs that were all by to When you create a new privilege set, you may notice that the available menu commands are set to minimum. They used to be set to all, and that got changed. And I might have had a word or two with them about that. But the importance is that a privilege not be enabled by default or that a restrictive setting or that a setting that has restrictions, let's say, like the menu, the menu commands, be at its lowest level. Many people do not realize that the full access privilege set does not have network connectivity on by default, does not have web direct on by default, does not have FMP URL on by default, or data API, or admin API. All of these items have to be turned on explicitly, and that's the way that it ought to be. And I have talked over the years and written papers and done programs and done analyses of these various systems and potential vulnerabilities, with the eye towards getting FileMaker to address them. And and under uh, you know the the product management team that has been led for a number of years by Rick Cowman, uh, whom I think you featured on an earlier podcast. A lot of that has been done. A huge amount has been done, as a matter of fact.
1: So. I Just to paint the picture really vivid colors, if people aren't familiar with FileMaker 6, when you created a privilege set, everything was checked. When you created a privilege set with FileMaker 7, nothing was checked. Now, it wasn't totally true that nothing was checked as Stephen went through the exhaustive list of things he's worked on with FileMaker over the years to make sure that there's no privileges on the default privilege set that it's the minimal it's taken a little bit of work but that difference between six and seven was night and day and really made a big difference and was a really a a big uh, moment in in filemaker security if you weren't there for it
0: well it was not only it was not only the difference in security it was the difference in the complete structure of filemaker because we had multiple tables in a single file we had the relationship graph. Uh, it, it, it's
2: it's pro- it's it's probably the biggest thing up to now that has uh, that has occurred in the product. I don't know that I would really say that version six and earlier had what we would really refer to as privilege sets. It's actually been so long since I've taken a look at that that I ought to go back and take a look at it. I think I have a machine around here somewhere that has one of those earlier versions on it, but the, the the idea of the modern security system, identity and access management, who are you, are you who you claim to be, and how do we know that, and once we've determined that, then we say, all right, what are you allowed to do, when, under what circumstances? President Reagan uh, said of the Soviets to proviano verify," which meant to... Uh, Trust, but verify. In the zero trust model, we verify because we don't trust anybody.
0: Sounds like the CIA.
1: Eh,
2: or NSA, no such agency.
1: So let's take a little sharp turn and just find out something, just to break up all this, this, uh, you know, stuff that your brain's trying to take in. You know, you're trying to absorb all this information because steven has got a lot of it. Um, let's just take a little right turn and take a little break, and and I want to ask Stephen, what's your favorite breakfast sandwich? Why,
2: a Tennessee sausage biscuit. What else would it
1: be? Now, what is on a Tennessee sausage biscuit? A
2: piece of sausage, and a piece of biscuit, and nothing else.
1: No cheese? No. No mayonnaise? No. No pickles or anything? No. That sounds like a left-handed coast
0: concoction. Simple. Plain. Biscuit.
2: Oh, too good. I ate too many of them. I'm going to have to dial that back.
1: Yeah, I remember, I just remembered one of the things that uh, Stephen often says when we get on the phone. He says, I've been thinking about moving out to the left-handed coast and, and opening up a sausage biscuit cart. And I said, come on over. We're ready. That's exactly right. So do you know how many white papers you've written over the years? Probably too many. I
2: I would say...
1: 40 to 50. Wow. And I've only got like 12 listed here, so there's quite a few more out there.
2: (laughs) Well, some were internally circulated, some were for client use, some were public. I mean, there are probably four or five that are core central ones, but uh, I've done a bunch. Some of them I've done all by myself as a sole author. Others I've had the great privilege uh, to have as my co-author,
0: Web Decor. Sure. It uh, In in
2: FileMaker Server 16, we gained the uh, capability of having external authentication using Amazon, Google, or Microsoft Azure Azure. There are great benefits to those. There are some drawbacks, including the fact that neither uh, Google or Amazon supports groups. Azure AD does. So... We have, Wim, Decord, and I have determined a way uh, in conjunction with uh, some assistance from FileMaker Inc., Clarice Inc., to expand that. And in this paper that we released in early October, we talked about uh, several additional such what are called OAuth 2 identity as a service provider, including PING and Okta, Okta is in the upper quadrant of Forrester Wave, logged me in, and there were a couple of others, I think many, Orange, and maybe one or two others. We're continuing to work on that. We, We think there's more there. And we hope that the result, that there will be two results of this. First, that it will enable the FileMaker platform to be accepted in organizations where heretofore it may have been disqualified because it didn't support these additional type of IDAAS providers. The second thing is that we hope that it will enable the use, more effective and more widespread use of multi-factor authentication and the zero trust model. And people can look uh, on the FM forums uh, website uh, in the marketplace and find those particular paper. It is a lengthy paper and it is, 80 percent of it is highly technical. We go into great detail as to how to do this, but the first part of the paper, the first 20 percent, is a discussion of the why and the uh, what uh, that's involved with it. But that's one of our, our core papers along with the one that we did a number of years ago, uh, both for FileMaker Server 7 and Server 9 about external authentication. The one I did about file access protection, which came about in version 11, the platform security building blocks paper, which you previously uh, alluded to, John, Mark, and the one about the API controls uh, in version 16 that I discussed a bit earlier. So there's, There are all kinds of those things, including one about how to hack your own file to see what the vulnerabilities are and and things like that.
1: Now, these are all publicly available. Where do you recommend finding these white papers?
2: They're either in the marketplace of fmforums.com or... They are blog articles on fmforums.com. I mean, if you look at my security blog, some of them may also be the ones that Wim co-authored, maybe on the Salant Consulting website as well. But they're the, all the ones that, that we have done are free. There, You don't have to pay. There's no paywall. There's no registration. There's not.
1: And, and some of them are even available still on the FileMaker.com website, right? I do not know
2: that for sure, because, of course, that site in the last year has undergone all manner of revision, change, inside out and upside down. There may still be some there. I I just do not know that for a fact. Uh, If people who are uh, on the uh, FileMaker community post a question, perhaps we can can get an answer from uh, uh, somebody at Claris about that.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about the Zero Trust Zero Trust
2: is a concept for modern security. A number of people, including RSA and Centrify, uh, who are two very well-known players in the information security space, uh, have advocated. It's, it's basically mostly what I said before. Who are you? How do we know that you who you are claiming to be? And then we're not going to allow you to have unfettered access to assets simply because you're on our network, even authenticated. It's there, I believe that there is a Zero Trust article on, on my blog. In fact, I'm sure there is. And, and it's just simply that we want to know who you are. We want to know what your device is. We want to know where you're coming from, all that type of thing. If John Mark logs in from California, at 5.15 in the afternoon, then five minutes later, John Mark logs in from Rio with the same account, chances are something isn't right there. And we wanna you know, have some geofencing going on there. Depending on the asset you're trying to access, we may step up your level of authentication to see basic information, your account name and password may be sufficient. For highly sensitive information, two, three, or even more additional factors of authentication might be required. This
1: is this is the future of of security. I, I most heartily agree with you. I mean, it seems like it should have been that way all the time. But I'll tell you what's wrong with your example from before about me logging in from California at 515. I wouldn't do that. So, therefore, I must have been in Rio because... That's the only place I would have logged into a database if at five fifteen, because I wouldn't do it here after work hours. Because I stop at five o'clock when my wife gets home. So, <laughs> anyhow.
2: Well, that that may be the case, but then that would raise the
1: question of who in California at five fifteen is
2: logging on with your
1: credentials. Some I somebody broke into my office is what happened. All right, there you go. So the idea is, you look at these. Now, there could be other
2: explanations, but that's the type of thing that should trigger an alert. It doesn't 100% mean that there has been a breach, but it should be sufficient to um,
1: cause further investigation. It's very suspicious. I get it. Yeah, and you should be on the alert for those types of occurrences.
2: And a similar type of situation could be if you log on from your machine in your office from the same IP address on a consistent basis, that's a behavior-based item. And we can say, okay, you want to log into this asset, uh, we'll admit you with an account name and password. But if you then get in the car and drive down to Starbucks and sit in there and want to call up the same information, you're now on a different network and probably a public one at that. And you may be asking for the same asset or different assets. We may say we're going to step up your authentication and you have to provide your uh, YubiKey token or your RSA token or something like that. Context sensitive content sensitive, that they separate authentication from authorization. And that's what essentially happened in version seven.
0: Stephen, what was the first recommendation on security that you made to the company that is now known as Claris? Claris? And the $64,000 question is, how did you get Claris, first of all, to listen to you? And Secondly, to take you seriously.
2: Went out there, sat down, had a talk with them, showed him a few things, gave him a follow-up memorandum, and stayed in touch with them. There's some very there's some very smart people out there, and they just, you know,
1: pointed out some of these
2: things, and the rest is history.
1: I think he's making it seem like it's a lot less work than it was. He followed up and followed up. He didn't badger them or harass them, but he made sure they knew about vulnerabilities and provide them with technical information and, and pointers and, and ideas. And, and they haven't adopted everything you said, Stephen, but luckily they've listened to a lot of what you said.
2: It's probably just as well that they didn't adopt everything I said. That could have been a mess. And I, I also uh, a couple of times have uh, invited people from FileMaker slash Claris uh, to come and meet me at the RSA, annual RSA Security Conference, which is held every year in San Francisco. And, you know, we've gone around and looked at stuff and, you know, attended sessions and things like that. Not recently, but we have done
1: that. So tell us more about the importance of file access security, which I don't think people take as seriously as the rest of the security, and why you felt it was important to lobby FileMaker Incorporate for this feature? Because this one is pretty much 100% you.
2: Well, I don't know that I'd go that far, but the um, file access protection simply says that if you don't know the full access account for file A, you cannot take a second file, file B, and start pointing uh, references to that file A, references to put table aliases from the graph, uh, references to call scripts, references to make uh, layouts appear, things like that. And those were, were considerable vulnerabilities. An example might be if in my file A, uh, I have a table uh, contacts, And the people have that file open uh, with a set of privileges that blocks, let's say, uh, exporting. I can take that file B and if I can make an access or if I can make a reference through the access to file A, I can override that export restriction and just kick, you know, just kick the data right out of the file. And John Mark, in the training series that you and I did uh, for a number of years, that was one of the examples that I showed to the students in those classes. And I've shown that at various um, presentations at Macworld and at uh, at developer conferences, at pause on air, at user groups, uh, things like that. The same thing for, uh, you know, scripts running. That was one of the ways to bypass an on-open script. It's not generally well known that if you can trigger a script in a file that is not the on-open script, that it frequently will cause the file to open. You have to know some sort of credential, but you can avoid calling that on-open script. Now, again, that has gotten harder as more of these vulnerabilities have been addressed and as the privilege sets have been more directed towards the uh, rule of least privileges, off by default, more secure by default, more restricted by default.
1: So Steven, I know you're humble and don't like to to talk about your accomplishments, but I'd like to, to try to mention some of the features that you've influenced, at least some of your favorites. I know we've mentioned a couple here, but are there any ones that we've missed here that you've influenced over the years? Cause there, I don't think people realize how much you've influenced the security area of FileMaker. And I think it's important to record what's gone on. Oh,
2: I didn't do it. I think you did it, Josh Mark But the uh, ones that come to man are the, menu privilege, uh, big minimum, uh, file access protection, uh, API controls, uh, disabled by default, uh, and, and things like that. And to some degree, some of the refinements in uh, external server authentication, although to court has to get the lion's share of credit for most of that. It took a couple of versions to get that working in an optimal fashion. And now here we are knocking on the door again with uh, OAuth two external authentication, which we think is just going to be a huge move forward.
0: Stephen, how much of what you have recommended to Claris has been has made its way into the platform? And are there any anything notable that you recommended that they decided wasn't necessary or they didn't want to do?
2: Um. I can, you know, I can only estimate maybe half of the things that I've suggested uh, work their way through. It's a long process and there are many considerations, you know, that they have to
1: address.
2: And so that's that's about what I could say about that.
1: Are there uh, any future focused items on your agenda? You know, two-factor authentication, enhanced group structure enhanced OAuth support, which we talked a little bit about, SAML, which I don't know anything about, so I might be pronouncing it wrong, but security assertion markup language. Are are those things you're focusing on uh, right now, and would you like to say anything about them?
2: Well, certainly expanded OAuth uh, configurations or expanded identity providers, multi-factor authentication, which is a little tricky sometimes, SAML, security assertion assertion markup language is a standard for managing authentication. Uh, It's not currently supported by the FileMaker platform. It's not a high item on my agenda right now, but uh, just to those three items, plus, you know, what we're doing here today, trying to make the FileMaker developer community and the customer base more aware of some of these issues and the need for employing uh, good security practices.
1: So we'll take another uh, sharp turn here and, and go into something else. And, uh, you know, I know a few things having known uh, Stephen uh, for a long time, uh, just to give you an idea, uh, it took me like 10 years to find out when his birthday was. Now I know what it is, but I've been sworn to secrecy. But the sharp turn I want to take is, uh, is to ask you about, uh, and we talk about this all the time, uh, what's your favorite after dinner drink is an old number seven. Or is it Drambuie? Well,
2: since Jack Daniels is not an after-dinner drink and Drambuie is, I guess it would have to be Drambuie.
1: Ah, that was a trick question, even though I didn't know it. Not that I
2: need to be consuming inordinate amounts of either one.
1: No, we didn't want to. We didn't want to imply that. No. In fact, uh, usually it's one drink and then bed for you. So
2: that's exactly right. What was it, Benjamin Franklin said? Early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Eh, he got most of them right.
0: Where do you see FileMaker going in the years to come regarding security, Stephen?
2: Well, clearly, Claris has announced a cloud-first, not cloud-only. Let me say that again, cloud-first, not cloud-only perspective and focus going forward. So clearly, cloud-based security, security security-based in the cloud, is going to be concerned The very first blog post that I wrote, and I think this was in 2011, not 100% sure about that, was on the subject of, of matters related to cloud security. And the single most important point about that is that the responsibility for security of data in the cloud is the responsibility of the data owner, not the service provider. Now there can be contractual adjustments to that. There are legal restrictions, but the responsibility belongs with the owner of the data. So that, that clearly is one direction that they're going in. I hope that they will. We will also be able to enhance multi-factor authentication, which is not a. It's not a you know a hundred percent panacea. It does not solve every issue or every concern or every question. But properly administered, say that again, properly administered, it is a very important factor for answering that question of, or series of questions. Who are you? Are you who you claim to be? And how do we know that?
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. Now, barely a week goes by. that There isn't a headline news article about some big system having been hacked and there are enormous numbers of hackers out there these days. Is any system secure enough? I'm not just filemaker, but is any system secure enough?
2: There is no such thing as one hundred percent security, Michael. And the uh, the question is not will you be breached, but when will you be breached? And that's why the audits look forward to those questions of the severity of the impact of the breach on the asset and how do you, you know, how do you mitigate those and how do you uh, uh, close to
0: the maximum extent possible the vulnerabilities. That's yeah, interesting. Uh, tell you a little bit of a story that just came to mind many years ago when I was in my early 20s, I was in the British Army for six years and I was in the intelligence Core, and we had a lecture one time from a guy, and I won't mention his name. But there wasn't a lock he couldn't pick, there wasn't a safe he couldn't crack, he could get through anything. And he made this very telling argument: He said, There isn't a lock I can't get through, there isn't a safe I can't get into. The only thing that stops me. Getting into the most secure site in the world is the actual presence of people patrolling. So if it's going to take me 30 minutes to crack that safe and I've only got a 20 minute window, I can't get in.
2: There's some truth to that. That, again, is based on perimeter security and also something called security in depth, which is why we, you know, want to protect the server. We want to encrypt uh, the the binary file. We want to encrypt the data in transit as they move across the networks. We don't want to give users more privileges than they need to do their job. So, yes.
0: So my last question is, what do we FileMaker developers take for granted that we shouldn't?
2: That's a good question. The thing I have seen, I really are two. First, that Security is too much trouble and we don't really need it on uh, our file because our file doesn't have, uh, you know, sensitive information in it. Well, depending on where your file is hosted, if you don't have good security on it, it might become an attack vector on other servers and other files. And there have been instances of that having occurred. The second thing I would say that people take for granted too much, it goes back to that business of the case of the Clevers from the Tom Clancy novels, uh, in that they think that they can design a better system than the one that is there, and they don't stop and think because they don't know what they don't know sometimes. Uh, They don't stop and think about whether that introduces vulnerabilities Uh, that are new or whether it exposes those that are there that the internal workings of the products are, you know, designed to overcome or to block.
1: Okay. So we're out of questions, but I'm going to do something at the end here to, to unhumblize Steven, because I know he's not going to talk about this stuff and I want to make sure I make a few statements, uh, First of all, he's the author of the one and only FileMaker security book. So, if you need information on security as it relates to FileMaker, sure, there's been a couple of years since it's been published, but and there's been some change in security. But there's a lot of information in there about how security works that would really benefit you. So, if you really want to make sure you're secure, that's probably a book you want to get. Stevens also. Multiple winner of the FileMaker Excellence Award. It's an award that FileMaker gives out at the developer conference. And he's won multiple times. Even just to win once is a great honor, but he's won multiple times. And Stephen is the only platinum emeritus. And I had to look up what emeritus meant. It says, of the former holder of an office, especially a college professor, having retired but allowed to retain their title as an honor. So he's the only platinum-level FBA member to a big given the title emeritus. And there's good reason for it because Stephen Blackwell has really changed the lives of FileMaker developers out there, not just in terms of security but server and just FileMaker in general, just the way he approaches the market. And I would hope that, uh, that you guys would come away from this podcast, understanding the influence he's had on the market, and uh, being happy that he's been chosen this as a market to be in. And so I thank you from the bottom of my heart, and I'm glad to be your friend, and we're glad we got to have you on this podcast. Any final thoughts you want to say, uh, security wisdoms or anything like that, Stephen?
2: Well, thank you, John
1: Mark and Michael for having me as a guest on
2: your podcast, and thank you, John Mark, for those exceptionally gracious and kind comments. I'm gonna remember, however, what Howard Baker told me a number of years ago, many years ago, don't read your own press clips. So uh, I'm happy to try to be of assistance uh, to the FileMaker community for as long as I possibly can. Uh, It should be obvious to many that I have been around quite a while and yes, I am old but I occasionally can uh, come up with a trick. And I remember Michael speaking of the British Army, the uh, motto of the Special Boat Service, uh, which is that uh, uh, old age and uh, cunning can overcome youth and strength every time. So it's been a delight and a pleasure to have uh, been with you today. And um, if people have questions about uh, FileMaker security or have concerns, certainly a posting to most of the major developer lists, the FileMaker community and other places like that. Uh, uh, they'll get to my attention and I'll do my best to answer them.
0: That's great, Stephen. And it has been a very interesting uh, conversation. Security is very much, I think it's so technical, as you mentioned in the article that you and Wim de wrote wrote, you have to be of a technical mindset, and because it is technical, a lot of people, I think, and I'm including myself in this, glaze over when uh, when it comes up as a discussion, but I found this conversation very interesting indeed, and I've learned a lot from it, so thank you.
2: You're welcome. It is technical in many ways, but it's also business-focused. We want to protect and preserve the confidentiality, integrity, availability, and resilience of those assets. We want to meet legal requirements. We want to meet civil liability requirements. or We don't want to expose ourselves to either criminal or civil charges. And we want to be able to uh, remain in business. And as I pointed out, many, many organizations uh, have not
0: survived a
1: data breach attack. Very true. I want to thank you, Stephen, for being on the show, and we're going to sign out. This is Fireside FileMaker. My name is John Mark Osborne.
0: And we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Fireside FileMaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Richard. We'd love to hear what you think, so please email us at info at firesidefilemaker.com. That's info at FiresideFileMaker.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.